Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Book of Psalms, chapter 40, beginning with verse number 1. The Bible says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goal. And he has put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. The first three words of verse number one says, I waited patiently. How many can say tonight that you love to wait patiently? I want, to help, I, want to, I want to help you tonight with the help of the Lord on this subject, waiting. Let's, let's, let's pray. Let's, let's ask the Lord to touch us tonight. God, we need you. Help us, Lord. God, you're able. In the name of Jesus, touch us through your word tonight. Help us to grow in, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord bless you. You may be seated. Look at your neighbor tonight and tell him I'm waiting. Some of you are waiting on me to finish. <laughs> Truly, if waiting is involved, a certain amount of patience is in order. Especially if you're to consider yourself successful. Lack of patience often stirs up a great number of arguments, dissension, which in return only proves to aggravate the matter even more. Causing the person with less than pleasing patience to become more impatient. Interesting how impatience breeds impatience. Uh, what is patience? It brings us to that question. Patience is by its definition the act or quality of waiting for a long time without discontent. Anybody can wait for a long time. But the question remains, can you wait for a long time without discontent? Can you wait for a long time with your mouth closed? Amen. I'm smiling like a basket full of chipmunks. Because I don't pretend to be the most patient person in the world. 
Thank you, honey. But I'm a whole lot better than I used to be. This is not going like I thought it was going to. Another defining moment of patience is the suffering of afflictions, pain, or calamity, or even being provoked. There are people who will provoke you just because. Or, or some other evil. With a calm, unruffled temper, patience is endurance without murmuring. Because we can endure a whole lot. It's just, can we endure it with our mouth shut? Because what happens when we don't like what's going on, we want to talk about it. We want to talk about what's not going right. Well, if I was doing it. Some of you have been there. Some of you have probably been there today. It's important to understand that if we're going to demonstrate patience with someone, the relationship that you have with them helps determine your success. Given the right situation and the right conditions, my patience level will be far better with someone that I know versus someone that I don't know. The psalmist writes, I waited patiently for the Lord. He wasn't waiting on McDonald's. He wasn't waiting on Mount Carmel Burger King. Can I get an amen? He wasn't waiting on his wife to pick out her clothes. He wasn't waiting on the traffic light to turn green. He wasn't waiting on his early morning coffee to brew. He was waiting on God. Now I want to dive a little deeper and talk about this for just a moment because it's worth noting that our relationship with God should not just be something that we try to represent on a Sunday. Our relationship with God must be at the very core of who we are. Your coming to church on Sunday is just a representation of who you are Monday through Saturday. Yeah, amen. And if you're not getting Sunday right, then that implies you're not getting Monday through Saturday right. It's about who we are. It's not altogether about what we're doing because if we get who we are right, what we do will follow. So that begs the question tonight, who are we? What do we believe? I've not come to necessarily preach about patience, but we'll tie it together in a little bit. The question is, who are we? What do we believe? And that's a question that many of us should be able to answer tonight. The man by the name of Paul David Hewson, he's known by his stage name of Bono, of the rock group U2, recently in recent years made a declaration that it was time for all of Abraham's children to come together. He said, and I quote, that the Jews and the Muslims and the Christians must all come together and put away their differences and be as one. Ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake about it tonight, there is a real difference. There is a real difference in what we believe versus what the world believes. 
And if we do not grasp a hold of the real difference of who Jesus really is, then we will not be here on Sunday. I said there's a real difference. And the real difference gets inside my spirit. And the real difference gets inside my being. And it's because of that I wake up and I worship God. It's because of that real difference that I love Him. It's because of that real difference that I sing. It's because of that real difference I worship. It's because of that real difference there's certain places I don't go. There's certain things I don't watch. There's certain things I don't listen to. There's certain activities I don't participate in because there's a real difference. We are the only one of these three who worship Jesus as God. If they call him a great teacher, they are undermining him. If they just call him a great prophet, they are undermining him. If they say he had good things to say, they are undermining him. Because the Bible declares that every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, talking about Jesus should never get old to us. Lifting our hands in worship and Jesus should never get old to us. Loving God for who he is should never get old to us. When God was manifest in the flesh, he was father and son at the same time. He was the root and the branch at the same time. He was the rose and the lily at the same time. He was the shepherd and the lamb at the same time. He is the door to the sheepfold and the scapegoat at the same time. He is the first and the last at the same time. He is the Alpha and Omega beginning and ending at the same time. He's the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, all at the same time. For in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and we are complete in Him. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God was justified in the Spirit. He was seen of angels. He was preached unto the Gentiles. He was believed on in the world and God was received up in the glory. The Bible declares in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him and without Him not was anything made. I'm talking about what we believe. These are things, these are doctrinal truths that we should be, we should be able to recite. We should go to bed thinking, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Why? Because that's who we are. It's not just what we do on Sunday. It's who we are. If we are the people of the name, then that's who we are. If this is more than just a social club, then that's who we are. If this is more than just a place we go on Sunday to feel a little better, it's who we are. This is not about religion, ladies and gentlemen. I never want to be religious, but we need a salvation experience because we are people of the name and the name that is above every name. He's all these things, all at the same time. What do we believe? We believe in the doctrinal message of the one God in Christ. We believe in receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking in tongues. We believe in baptism by immersion in the lovely name of Jesus Christ. 
How you're baptized does matter. How you're baptized does matter. I realize for some that can be contentious. It is hard for some to fathom that what you believe is right when you have loved ones who have gone on that did not believe that. But the Bible declares that it is for the remission of sins. So if your sins have not been removed, how can you be in the presence of God? We believe in the power of the name of Jesus. That's why we pray over our food in Jesus' name. That's why we send our kids to school in Jesus' name. That's why we lay hands on the sick in Jesus' name. That's why everything we do, we do it in word or deed. We do it all in Jesus' name. There are some who struggle Monday through Saturday in their walk with God, not because God isn't real. Not because they don't have enough good preaching and teaching. But because they've not sold themselves on the idea that this is the only way. Amen. If you believe that this is an optional way, if this is optional to you, then you'll never have personal victory. I, I can tell you tonight that the way I was raised and the way I was taught, what I am preaching to you tonight, my family has preached for a number of decades, and not all of my relatives believe this. Now, I'm not donning the robe of judgment tonight, but the Bible is very clear. I've got a grandfather who died the day I was born, Bishop, who died without the Holy Ghost. He waited too late in life that by the time he saw the reality of it, Brother Freddie, he was so old, he was so sick, rather. He really wasn't that old, but Parkinson's disease had grabbed his body so bad. It wasn't that he never had opportunity. His choices caught up with him. And I realize that may sound a little harsh tonight, but our choices catch up with us. It's not that we don't have opportunity. It's not that our relatives don't have opportunity. It's not that people haven't had a chance. Their choices is what put them where they're at. And just because somebody else chooses not to live the way that the Bible teaches does not mean that the Bible is optional. So we've got to get it in our spirit tonight. We either believe this or we don't. Because there's a whole lot at stake. Talking about who we are and what we believe and in whom we believe should never become commonplace. I was teaching a couple of weeks ago on a Friday night and I was, I was recanting a story from one of our Thanksgiving uh, services that we had in Kingsburg when the church was located there. Never will forget it, Pastor. We, we had, uh, the, it was our turn. We had the entire community there and we were leading the service and we, we sang, we, we led worship and we did, we did our thing. And, and I, I didn't feel anything. Some of you have heard me tell this story before, but I did not feel one drop of God whatsoever. Brother Terry, I, I, I could have napped. I could have slept my way while playing the organ while we were singing. I didn't feel anything. 
If you'd asked me, I'd have said God wasn't in the building. And after the service was over, and I was putting my coat on, my wife and I were talking about whatever we were going to do next, and uh, there, there was a group of people, I don't know who they are, I don't know their names, I know their faces, but they, they come running up, and there was four or five, six or seven of them, and they were just, their eyes were bugging out of their head, and they said, oh, do you feel the Spirit? Now they were from a church that did not believe the Holy Ghost. They were from a church that, that did not necessarily believe what we believe in demonstrative worship. If you had attended one of their services, it would have been very quiet. It would have been very introspective. And they were just in awe at the presence of God that they felt. And I was ashamed. Because that which was common for me had kept me from getting into the presence of the Almighty. Ladies and gentlemen, we are at danger in this hour of getting so used to the presence of God that when we come to church, we don't recognize that Jesus is in the building, but we need to understand that he is Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord. I was ashamed of myself because I was so used to it. I, 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 I couldn't afford to tell them, no, I don't feel him. What, what kind of a witness would that be? But I couldn't lie and say, yeah, woo, because I didn't. I just looked at him and grinned and nodded. It's good to have you. Brother Mike Trout, I didn't feel anything. Because what we did was so customary to us. It was just commonplace. Having, having, having a, a little louder music than what some churches might have was just commonplace to me. Singing in our style of music with a little jazz and a little upbeat was commonplace to me. Lifting hands and worshiping God and saying, Oh, thank you, Jesus, was just commonplace to me. Having people join in and sing and clap their hands was commonplace to me. So it was business as usual. Man, I'm feeling something tonight. It was business as usual. There was no excitement for me. There was nothing out of the ordinary. My Lord, you know, we are just like a bunch of drug addicts. That first hit is the most powerful one. And statistically, they tell you that every time a person does drugs, after the first time, they are trying to relive that initial high. And it takes a larger dose every time. You, if, if you start out with a certain milligram dosage, let's say it's 10 milligrams. I don't know how you measure it, but if you start out with 10 milligrams, before you know it, you're up to 50 just to get the same buzz. And if we are not careful in a spiritual application, we're going to be just the same way or perhaps we are just the same way. It takes such a move of God to get our attention. God, awaken our sensitivity. Awaken us, God, to know that you are Lord and you are in charge. You are all powerful. You are all knowing. So it takes a greater effort from us. If we just give status quo effort, we're going to get status quo God. It takes perhaps a greater effort from us to feel something. So I ask you tonight, how much effort are you giving Him?
Because there is no maturity level in God that causes the excitement to leave. If you just let me preach for a little while tonight. We should not get so mature in God that our worship pattern is so much different now than it was when we got saved. Uh, if I could preach the first apostolic church tonight, I could remember a time when some of you walked the aisles and now don't leave your seat. I mean that with all respect. But if we reflect tonight, I can remember when worship was alive. Bishop did a good job preaching on worship this morning, so I'm not going to try to tag team that. But I can remember in my mind when our worship pattern was different than it is now. Which begs the question, What is it that you really believe? I'm just preaching. You you apply it as necessary. I I know we're small in numbers tonight, and I may be preaching to the choir. Not literally, but maybe literally, I don't know. Figure of speech. You know, they, they say that, you know, preaching about attendance doesn't do any good when you're always preaching to the ones that's there all the time. I, I, I get that, okay? But if I can just preach a general message to the church and then you can tell the people that aren't here that you feel like needs it, listen to podcast. All right? But why are we so much different today than we were 15 years ago? I, I don't understand that. And there is a reason. I've not come to tell you what it is. I think you need to know what it is. I think every individual needs to discover what it is. But it's not God. God's not going anywhere. He don't go on vacation. If he's gone on vacation, I want it to be because I have. And I want him with me. Sometimes I'm afraid that the reason why we don't stay excited is because we don't put enough time and effort into our relationship with God. We, we live in, if we're not careful, we'll get caught with God living a one-sided relationship. And a one-sided relationship is a recipe for divorce. When you're the only one doing the talking, When you're the only one making concessions, when you're the only one saying I love you, when you're the only one taking care of the other person and nothing's ever returned, you're not going to like it too well. You're going to take it for a while because of love. You're going to put up with it for a while because of love. And, and, And all the while, that pot of water is just getting hotter. It's just getting steamier. And it's starting, starting to boil just a little bit. And every little thing that trips you up you're getting mad about it. And every little thing that goes on, you're getting mad because your patience is wearing thin. Because you're tired of waiting to be loved. You're tired of waiting on the other person to treat you the way that you treat them. Recipe for divorce. So if we don't like it in our human nature, why would we expect God to like it? 
Because, Brother Malone, if we're not returning to him what he's given to us, then that's a one-sided relationship. Oh, I'm sick. God, please help me. I'm not trying to be sarcastic tonight. But God, I love you because I'm sick. God, I need you because I'm sick. God, I, I tripped over something and stuck my, my foot. I need you. But whenever everything's healthy, When everything's going all right, where are you? Where are you at physically? Where are you at mentally? Because you can be at church and not be at church. Yeah. You can be in worship service and you can clap and sing and you can still not be worshiping. If we are not careful, it becomes too commonplace for us. The Bible says that David waited patiently on the Lord. In Hebrew, this translates to, in waiting, I waited. What that phrase means is, I waited, and I continued to wait. Because this was not a one-time prayer. This was not a one-time moment of adversity for David. This, this was not a one-time hit and miss, fill up the tank and go. Some people think that they can do whatever they want. Whenever they want. And when they need the favor of God, all they got to do is get serious for one service. Pray, cry, and worship, and woo, God give me an answer and give me your favor. I've heard some people even question it in sarcasm. Well, I don't know, but I need God's favor and I don't know where it's at. Well, I can tell you, you're not going to find it there. Because that's not how it, how it works. This was not a single momentary act of expectation. It was continuous. I do remember, I do recall in my mind's eye a moment in this church's history when expectation was so thick, you could cut it with a knife. Before every service, there were people praying and holding hands and praying for each other and calling on the name of the Lord and worshiping in prayer rooms and bringing that worship into the sanctuary and starting church. Church didn't change. God didn't change. David's prayer was not answered immediately. But after repeated prayers over a period of time, which we do not know, we don't know what the period of time was, but over a period of time, when it seemed there would be no answer, when it seemed there would be no hope of an answer, David kept on waiting. He kept on waiting. You know when David, the Bible says when David encouraged himself in the Lord, he did that privately and on his own? Understand me clearly tonight. I think it's great for us to have confidants. I think it's good for us to have people in a moral support group. But there are some of us that think if we don't cry all of our sympathies on Facebook and get everybody to weigh in on what's wrong with us and, and, and tell us how good we are and how beautiful we are that we can't feel good about ourselves. David encouraged himself. When he lost everything, when his men turned on him, and their answer to his problem was they wanted to kill him. 
And the Bible says that he encouraged himself, not his moral help group. He had nobody. His wives and his sons and daughters had been kidnapped. He had nobody. His home was a, was a trash heap of smoke billowing in the air. He had nothing left. House burned to the ground. In modern day terms, he lost it all. And he encouraged himself. Let me ask you a question in rhetoric this evening. Whenever you go through life's harshest problems and God does not answer you immediately, what do you do? Because that's the verse of scripture I'm preaching about tonight. David waited on the Lord. The reason why some of us have so much frustration in life. I realize we're small tonight, but hear me because I believe this is going to help somebody if you'll let it. The reason why we have so much frustration in our life is because we're not waiting on God long enough. Go ahead and take that other job. Well, Brother Mason, I've got to be employed. I understand that. But did God open the door or you? Go ahead and take your second and third job. Take you out of the house of God. Folks, there's some things that's just not worth it. Waiting on God. Waiting on an answer. I've always been taught, Bishop has been very diligent about teaching this over the years. You pray about everything. You pray about your job. You pray about the house you're going to buy. You pray about the car you're going to buy. Well, why does God care about that? Because He cares about financial stewardship. And He doesn't want you to overextend yourself so much that you can't support a missionary. Well, I can afford it. If it takes every dime you've got, you can't afford it. Well, glory. It's true. Even if I did say it. Waiting in this context does not mean doing nothing. This is what I've come to preach on tonight. If we're not careful, we will find ourselves in a posture where we are waiting for nothing. I can remember as a kid, my father's church, before he was pastor and even during his pastor, I can remember some of the saints there. At that time, I would perceive them as being old. Not really sure how old they were, but I was little and they weren't, so to me they were old. But I can remember hearing them testify and make statements, completely misunderstood statements, statements misrepresenting Scripture. But I can remember hearing them say, Well, I'm just waiting on God. And Brother Terry, they were just so mediocre about it because they weren't doing anything. Man, you talk about waiting. They were waiting in its purest form. They weren't doing anything. Oh, we're just waiting on God. What, what are you doing today? Oh, I'm waiting on God. You worshiping today? No, I'm waiting on God. That's not the implication of Scripture. Waiting in this context does not mean doing nothing. 
For when you don't know what to do, you don't change anything you are doing. You keep on keeping on. If you don't know whether you take the next job, the next house, the next car, the next city, the next whatever, then you don't change whatever you're doing. You, te- you keep teaching Sunday school. You keep singing. You keep playing. You keep worshiping. You keep loving God. You don't change anything. That's waiting on God. I'm going to wait in His presence. I'm going to wait in His presence. Because I want to know from Him where to go, how to go, when to go, and what to go with. He continues in verse 1 by saying that the Lord heard his cry. It was through this measure of perseverance that he was brought out of the situation he was in. Verse 2 tells us that he was brought up out of a horrible pit. I realize We've preached this, I've preached this, bishops preached this, pastors preached this, probably every evangelist in shoe leather has preached this in the in the, the means of salvation. And there is a salvation message in this. But there's more to this than just a single topic of redemption. This horrible pit by by definition was called the pit of noise. Referring to as being your trouble or your calamity. It's a horrible place to be when all of the voices of life are speaking against you. Have you ever been in a crowd that was so big whether they were saying the same thing or not if you, you, it, it just sounded like the same thing. It, just, it all blended together and it was just one big noise. That's the pit of noise. All of these voices. What do you do when the voices in your life and in your family speak against you in your walk with God? Giving in and being anything less than what God wants for you is not going to save you. Giving in and being anything less than what God wants for you is not going to save them. How can we expect our families to come to church if we don't? How can we expect our families to get anything from God if we aren't demonstrating to them what God's given us when they're here? There are too many voices. Speaking when you only you need to be listening to only one voice. The miry clay is symbolic of the bottom of the pit. It's a place where there's no solid ground, no, no rock to walk on. It is as if the beginning of Psalms chapter 40 was written as an introduction to the ending of Psalms chapter 40. For in verse 12, the tone of his writings change. From what God has done to what has happened to him. He says, and I read in verse 12, For innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me, so that I am not able to look up. They are are more than the hairs of mine head, therefore my heart faileth me. 
Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me, and O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for a reward of their shame that say unto me, Aha, aha. And that means exactly what you think it means. Ridicule. Look it up. You'll, you'll see it. In the Hebrew, it means those people that point at you and say, Ha ha! Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. Here he brings it home in verse 17. He says, But I am poor and needy. Yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God. Innumerable evils. Ah, there's just something about the, the graphic nature of those two words. Innumerable evils. Evils so much that he couldn't even count them. Not able to look up. So depressed. More than the hairs of his head. Yes. I realize that's more for some than others. So much that his heart faileth him. He's poor and needy. But yet in verse 17 he says, Yet, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. What is it going to take for God to think upon you? Wait patiently. Why did God think upon him? Because he waited patiently. Why did God think on David? Because he waited. The waiting is an important fabric of life. You're not always going to get your prayers answered when you want them. Ladies and gentlemen, I, I say this with all sincerity this evening. We need to get a resolve about us that we understand that God will answer your prayer whenever he's good and ready. And as long as you're vacillating back and forth on the balance scale and you're teetering in front of God and you're tempting Him to say, I'll serve you if you answer me, then you're not going to get an answer. He wants you to love Him for Him, not because of what He does for you. What is going to cause God to think about me? My relationship with Him. My praise to Him. My worship to Him. To him. And through all of this, the Bible says that David waited patiently on the Lord. And he heard him. I believe we are at a critical hour in this age. We are in a critical hour, and this is not just indicative of First Apostolic Church. I believe in the body of Christ. We are living in a critical hour. And it is so critical today that if we can be rocked to sleep, we will be. I was praying tonight in the prayer room and, and, and a few words just came out of my mouth. I didn't premeditate them. I didn't think about them. They just came out of the heart. And I told God, I said, God, I want every church service I'm in to be a life changer. Every service that you're a part of, we're, we're, we're not going to dance and bounce off the walls. But you can still be changed. 
And it ought not be have to be that we have a shout out to praise Him. Because I still want to be preached to. Because if I don't have the Word of God, I'm not going to make it. Because I can shout all Sunday night and sin on Monday. But if I've got the Word of God hid in my heart, I've got a chance of making it through the day. My God, whatever happened to us as a church, giving God everything we've got and not premeditating how we think it ought to go. I want to wait patiently on the Lord. I want to give God my praise and give God my worship. Not because of his prayer he's answered. Not because of his prophecies and his promises. I want to give God my best because he deserves it. Because he deserves it. I don't want to have to pray. I don't want to have to be sick to praise him. I don't want to have to go bankrupt to learn to pay my tithes. I don't want to have to lose something for God to awaken me that He's still God. Through all of this, He waited patiently on the Lord. We've lost some people from our congregation we've lost some people who transferred to another church Lord bless them we've lost some people who transferred to the world and yes that hurts and yes we pray for them and yes we want to be here whenever they come home yes we're praying for prodigals but that should not change who we are when they're not here we need to learn to wait patiently on the Lord and in our waiting, wait. But while waiting, worship. The wait didn't change who David was. The wait didn't change his personality. The wait didn't change his resolve for God. All the wait meant was, I'm staying right here till God tells me to move. He waited patiently. Verse number three. The Bible says, and he hath put a new song in my mouth even praise unto our God many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord we often talk about this being an actual song and, and maybe it is I, I don't debate that tonight but I think it does go a little deeper in translation than just a song because the Hebrew translation of this verse says that the meaning of a new song in my mouth is a new or fresh occasion for praise. Some of you, if you're not careful, you'll read it so literally in our English translation that, well, I don't sing. Why do I need a new song? I don't sing. You do need a new song because your new song isn't about you singing. Your new song is about you having a new and fresh occasion for praise. If praise ever gets old to you, then you're in trouble. Because everywhere in the Word of God that there was deliverance, there was praise. 
The deliverance was so great that a new expression of thanks was in order. You ever had somebody do something for you and it was so special that, that the words that came across your lips, thank you, just didn't seem adequate enough? That's how it was for David. When he got his new song, when he got his new occasion for fresh praise, the deliverance that he had was so great and so grand that a new expression of praise was in order. It was such a grand deliverance from God that his old normal praise pattern just wasn't good enough. It just may very well be that we need to change our praise pattern. It just may be that Wednesday night and Sunday morning and Sunday night when we come to church next, that however you've been praising God, that you just, you just cast that away as an old pattern of praise and say, I've got a fresh occasion of praise. I'm going to do it different today. Why? He hasn't done anything for me yet. Oh, he's done a whole lot. And what he hasn't done, he may just deliver in your praise. He waited patiently. Waiting. Waiting is hard. Waiting is rough. Waiting can be one of the hardest things you do. But if you don't do it right, you're not going to get where you want to go. You wait patiently. And I'm so afraid today that there are some of us that are so scared that God's going to call you to do something that you distance yourself from Him as a result of that. I am convinced in this particular church that there are people, there are untapped resources that we have tried over the years and you distance yourself from worship and you distance yourself from activity not because you're not capable of it but because you're so scared of what God's going to call you to do. So you would rather live your life in frustration with no victory. I want to be in His will. I don't always pretend to know what that means. But if I'm not in His will, what good am I doing? Would you stand with me tonight? Some who are waiting The key takeaway I want you to take from this message tonight That I, I pray you take from it Is not that waiting is a bad thing But while you're waiting Just don't forget to praise Him While you're waiting It might be in your best interest Individually and collectively to choose a fresh occasion of praise. If it's old to you today, then maybe you need to change your praise. There's no names on these pews. If you can't praise God where you're at, move. If you don't want to sit down, stand up. We're not so formal. 
If you can get in tune with God, better laying on the floor face down and get on the floor face down. I know an evangelist one time, back in the 80's, he was standing in church, they were just getting ready to bring the pulpit to him to preach, and the Lord told him, he said, I want you to go over there and I want you to lay face down on the floor. Now that's, that, in, in the eyes of man, Brother Malone, that's pretty stupid. I mean, really, if we're just going to be honest with ourselves, that's, that's crazy, it means nothing. With him laying on the floor, it does nothing for anybody's salvation. But because of his obedience... I don't know how God does it. Because I'm not God. But Brother the priest, he laid face down on the floor. And I don't know what he did while he was there. I assume he prayed. I don't think he took a nap. But he laid face down on the floor in the platform. And when he got up, 17 people was slain in the spirit, speaking in tongues for the first time. Why? He changed his praise pattern. He had a fresh occasion of praise. He did something a little different. What do you have to lose? Your pride? We probably need to lose a little bit of that anyway. This altar's open this evening. I wish somebody would come and just start talking to the Lord and say, God, I'm waiting. But while waiting, Lord, I don't want to be found doing nothing. I want to be active for you. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.